spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I've dreamed waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Andy Ern's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Andy Ern from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable me to keep the running costs this podcast going and enjoy take care bye bye spoken hi guys andy m spoken able back in the house we're on zoom again today on a bright april sunny afternoon it's gorgeous areas over to ireland today and i've got a lovely gentleman here in a moment i'm not asking what the weather's like over there but no doubt he'll tell us in a minute. But I can see from his curtain where he's sat. You can't see this, we're audio. But it looks like it's as bright as what it is over here. So I've got a gentleman called Connor. Is it Breden? I've got that right, Connor. <laughs> or, yeah, my, my surname is tricky because everyone either, if they read it first, they say it wrong. And if they hear <laughs> it first, they spell it wrong. Uh, so it's uh, B-R-E-D-I-N and it's pronounced Braden. Braden, I was nowhere near, right? Yeah. <laughs> Connor got in touch with me recently from, I'm on a website at the minute, and I, th- I think Connor must be as well, called matchmaker.fm. And it's a really good website where you can actually get people to contact you over there to come on your podcast. And speaking to Connor about this, and it's great this because he runs his own podcast as well. So I can ask him lots of real technical, horrible, nasty questions about his podcast today as well. But before we start that, seriously, Connor. Would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Obviously, tell everybody where you're from originally, which isn't in your accent, and where you're living now, and what started off your creativity, and we'll take it from there, mate. Yeah, sure. Um, So my name is Connor Braden. Uh, I was actually born in Brooklyn, New York. Bay Ridge, if there's any New Yorkers listening, uh, going like Abba in Brooklyn. Um, My father and mother are both originally from Ireland, so... Even when I was a small, small kid, like in New York, when I'd be playing with neighbors on my street or on my block or something like that, I was the Irish kid. Um, Even though I didn't have an Irish accent, according to my parents, um, but everyone else thought I did. Uh, Then uh, I was always, even like at that very, very young age, I was always into reading and writing and coming up with plays and stories and just always kind of, just stories in general, just kind of, I was obsessed with. And um, yeah, it just kind of was seeped into my DNA, I think. My father was a big reader as well, because I'm actually, even though my name is Connor, which is a really common name, I understand. A uh, really popular name is another way to say common. <laughs> I don't like that everyone else seems to have my name. <laughs> but uh, I was actually named after a character in a book. So I kind of say like my dad kind of cursed me to be a, a reader and a writer. Um, 
then uh, when I was around four and a bit, I was about to start um, primary school uh, or elementary school as the New York, as the Americans call it. And my brother had just been born and my parents were at this like point where they said, if he starts school in America, we're going to have an American for a son. And they really didn't like that idea. So uh, we moved home and um, I've been here since. Uh, and then uh, growing up in North Leitrim in a small town called Manor Hamilton and uh, growing up with like on one side of the house, there are like Stone Age ruins and things like that. And then down in the center of the town, there is a, a 15th or sorry, 17th century castle. So like history and kind of stories and all that is always around me. Um, and then uh, I just, yeah, just uh, there's a really, even though for it's a really small town, Manor Hamilton has a really strong um, amateur drama society kind of and circle and things and just kind of acting and all that kind of stuff kind of beckoned to me. And I've just always been involved, whether it's acting or directing or um, writing stuff, writing and creating stories have just always been a part of me. And uh, yeah, so then I wrote my first novel in 20, oh God. I started writing it in 2016 and published, self-published it in 2018. Yeah, and then we'll sort of come on to your novella, which came after that in a bit then. So, okay, when you were growing up then, was there any writers that were a major influence on you as a writer when you were growing up made you want to become a writer? Um, I don't think there was any that made me want to become a writer necessarily, because to be honest, that's something that it's kind of like, because my day job is a teacher, right? So I, I always used to say, I want to be a something or this. And the backup was always uh, teacher, but the backup after teacher was always writer. So it used to be, I want to be an actor or a teacher or a writer. And then it was, I want to be a journalist or a teacher or a writer. I want to be a vet <laughs> or a teacher or a writer. So, you know, and, and I twigged it then when it was around uh, 17, 18, that hang on, the, the number two and three never change, but number one always does. So maybe number two and three is actually number one and two. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, in terms of like writers that influenced me and wanted me to become a writer, it not, there wasn't any really that made me want to write because I, I always thought of writers as this completely separate, ethereal, impossible to achieve um, task. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I never considered creating stories and writing to be the same thing because I always used to make up stories and write stories, but I never thought of that as writing books. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, you mean books and you take it more serious, I think, really, isn't yeah, it? So. Yeah. I know, not, I, I know some of your books, and obviously your book, your novel and your novella, both supernatural thrillers. So was that mm. something that you particularly liked reading when you were growing up more then, or was that to come more, more as an adult? Um, I think it was, yeah. I mean, I, I the Goosebumps series, I think I've read every single one of them. I don't know if uh, if you remember them um, the by R.L. Stein, which I found out is not his real name. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Roald Dahl was a huge, a huge favourite of mine as well. Um, I mean, I don't think there's anybody who likes reading that doesn't love Roald Dahl. And oh, me too. Brilliant, brilliant writer. Absolutely brilliant writer. Have you ever read any of his uh, stuff for adults? Uh, yes, oh, it was a while ago. He did. Um, I used to watch his TV series, Tales of the Unexpected, in England as well, because I'm I'm old enough to remember that. And he used to get that dancing woman doing that, and it was absolutely that was very um, twisted as well. His, his adults just completely different. Yeah, yeah, very, very bizarre. Um, but I suppose when you look at his children's stuff, even though it's four children, it, some of it can be very dark. I mean, BFG, even though it's it's a beautiful and kind of very flowing and happy story, I mean, it's about 
giants who eat children alive yeah. <laughs> with names like Bone Cruncher. Like, <laughs> yeah, it gets me. You look at some more classic children books and same the TV series as well. Because I've been watching them. I've been watching one called Bagpuss, which is a British one. I don't don't know if you yeah. know it in Ireland. But what I've been listening to the soundtrack of that recently, and it's days great 70s folk music and it's all with morals and stuff like that and it shows you to a degree how tv's been dumbed down a bit nowadays as has literature really for children as well oh i don't know if i'd agree with you there um, well i'd be interested to know as a teacher i'd be interested to know your opinion on that yeah so like i um so, some children's books are yeah okay there is definitely a uh a, a, a sub genre of parents and writers and um uh, people who work with children teachers even that think children need to be bubble wrapped and protected and you know no 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 that could upset them i won't like that's not they're not the the books and the things that children want to read they want to read david williams who writes um i'm not personally i'm not a huge fan of his books but like he does write a lot of very real stuff i mean one of his most famous earlier books is called gangster granny and um, it is about a grandmother who is a, a, a world-renowned cat burglar. And it's like, towards the end of it, um, it, it gets really realistic in the sense that the, uh, uh, this is a spoiler for a kid's book, so there's any kids listening. Turn off, you, turn, off years, years. turn off, because I'll make it adult in a minute when it gets easy. Yeah. Oh, well then, yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the end, the grandmother um, dies of cancer. <laughs> And I think like children love that book because it's so funny, but also because it's so real. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, children do experience that thing and children are, believe it or not, children are people. So they like to be treated as such. So I think when books have real things in them, they like it a lot more. Yeah, yeah. No, get a complaint about that. So and obviously with a teacher, you know that in yourself anyhow. Yeah, brilliant. So what do you teach? Then, if you don't? Obviously, we're not asking what school you're at. So what do you teach no. at school? Um, so I'm a primary school teacher. So uh, in Ireland, the education system is slightly different uh, in that your primary school teacher teaches you every single subject. Um, hmm. So um, Irish, English, maths, history, geography, science, PE, art, drama. Wait, there's more. Um, <laughs> a subject that we call Learn Together, which is a... Um, uh, so most most schools in Ireland are Catholic schools. I teach in a, a school that's called an Educate Together school. So instead of you have to be Catholic, it's no, it's totally equal access. It doesn't matter what your religion is. And we celebrate um, the six largest religions in the world equally. And we kind of learn about them. And when we're learning about a religion, it's not like in a Christian school or in a Catholic school, it'd be we are Christians and this is what we believe. Whereas in the school I teach in, it's I am an atheist. Here's what Catholics believe. Here's what Muslims believe. Here's what Sikhs believe, etc., etc. So it's um, yeah, it's very different. Do you find an obviously from the creative side? I know you do a podcast as well, which we'll come on to later. Since you're obviously a full-time primary school teacher now, do you find that writing for leisure, like you do in your novel, your novella, and other stuff, is it much more hard to get down time to do stuff like that nowadays and be teaching? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, so kind of. I've told the story before in, on other shows, but um, my my boyfriend had a serious illness a number of years ago and um, it kind of shook the two of us in a, like, it was a horrible experience, don't get me wrong, but it kind of, there's a lot of positives came out of it because we both kind of readjusted a lot of things and said, well, what's important to us, both as a couple, what was important to us, and then what's important to me as an individual, what's important to him as an individual. And 
we started talking about goals and stuff we wanted to achieve. And I kept saying, well, when I'm a published author, I want to be able to do this. And when I'm a published author, I want to do that. And of course, what did he do? He only called me out and was like, yeah, but you never write. <laughs> oh, fair. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think they use a good British saying that's a, a blow beneath the belt. <laughs> yeah, most certainly. Uh, definitely was. But you know, um, in Ireland, we'd say it was a kick up the arse. Uh, that's so, the other one. The other one kind of, I know people that are Irish, I've got some friends that are Irish, and I've heard that saying before now. <laughs> yeah. And it, to be honest, it's what I needed. I needed I needed that good kick up the arse. Um, and it, it just made me reevaluate. So, in terms of making sure I have time to write, because, you know, writing is a really lengthy process, there's a lot involved in it. It's not just coming up with a story. Um, so, started kind of prioritizing in terms of, how much TV do I watch? And do I need to watch it? And what am I watching just because I'm in the habit of watching? And what am I watching because it's actually genuinely good and entertaining? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We be honest with you, mate. We don't have a TV. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. It's 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 my my TV hours have whittled down an awful lot because basically I, I do what I want to do as opposed to what I was used to. Um, and as well, going to bed earlier and getting up. I actually I'm I'm not a morning person. But at the same time, I, I find that when I used to try and write in the evenings before bed or after I got home from school, from work, whatever, I my brain would be firing all cylinders because I'd be thinking of, well, what do I have to get ready for tomorrow for school? And or I might be thinking of, jizz, I better tell my principal about that incident that happened. And then I have to walk the dog and I have to cook the dinner. And da, 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 da. So all those things would be going in my head in the evenings. So I just started getting up an hour earlier and writing in the mornings. And that has really helped me. I'm the way around because usually my writing, because I'll tell you what I do off mic later because I don't go into it on, on podcasts. Okay. But I, I tend to get everything organised and fairly to early the day after. And the last hour before going to bed, I'm used to doing music or editing a podcast or writing myself. So it's, I always tend to do it last hour normally because Amanda, my partner, tends to go to bed dead early. <laughs> and um, I'm, I usually stop up to 11 or 12 normally and get to bed then and get up at 6 in the morning for work. So, mm. yeah, there's different patterns really, isn't there, I suppose? So that's mm. why. So, yeah, completely. Now, uh, obviously, we know been hinting, haven't we, at your novel and your novella. So tell people, first of all, then, about your novel, which came first, The Longest Night. Um, well, they're both actually linked, so I, can, I suppose I can kind of tell you together. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you about that as well, because I can see they're both linked down, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, The Longest Night is uh, is the first novel that I wrote with a goal of, I am publishing this no matter what. It is not the first novel I wrote. I, I have a, a fantasy novel that I started many years ago, and I have a children's y- or YA novel as well. This is the first novel I finished, so I'm very proud of that. Good one, good one. Yeah. Long's Night is a supernatural thriller. I liken it to, it, to be honest, I've been saying it's a supernatural thriller, but it's, it's kind of edges into the horror genre as well. It's um, Indiana Jones meets Stranger Things meets Tomb Raider. Um, uh, and it's all ah. set entirely in Ireland as well. Cool, cool, cool. So obviously tell us about the process here. You said it took you two years to write that novel, didn't it? So yeah. had it been planned for some time before that or did you just start it in 2016 and build it up from there, did you, at that point? Well, I had said that um, the the writing process was it was including thinking of ideas and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the book. Um, so I probably didn't write the first words like f- for maybe let me think a, a year before I started writing. So like the actual uh, yeah. writing was a year, but um, I think this is an influence of my teaching that I have to be extreme. I'm extremely very much a planner when it comes to writing. I have to have 
step A, step B, step C, step C1, C2, C3, then go on to <laughs> it's, it's extremely, extremely regimental. Um, but that's because that's what works for me. And the create, I know there are definitely writers out there who think, but if you plan a novel, it can't be creative. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like you can plan a road trip. And then when you see, oh, wow, look, there's a, there's a castle down there that we missed on the map. And then you can take that detour. That's where I find my creativity when I'm, writing it and then i'm like oh hang on this is an interesting thing i just came up with let's let's test this out and experiment with it and um that's kind of how i kind of write i guess um the the biggest thing for me with the writing and the planning and everything was uh, i wanted it to always every sentence to have a purpose and every sentence to up the stakes either emotionally or like i call it a supernatural thriller or in a kind of a more actiony kind of thing so that was my goal. Yeah, yeah. Well, fair play. Now, what made you obviously write the novella afterwards and that was linked into the world of your original novel? So Since you were hinting at that before. Weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's uh it's it's kind of funny. Basically, um the original plan for the longest night was I had four point of view characters, three men and a woman. Uh, or I should say one boy and two men and a woman, because uh, the character I decided not to include in the novel was uh, a 16, a 15 year old called David um, from the inner city of Dublin, from a rough part of the inner city of Dublin. And um, basically it was just, it was, it, the novel was too long for a debut novel. And I knew that. So I just had to figure out a way to cut. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I changed, I changed David's story. And I took it out of The Longest Night and it became The Stolen Dagger. And the the way I like to say it is The the Stolen Dagger, which, by the way, is for free. So if people want to check it out, you can go to connorbraden.com slash free book and it's there for you to download. Um, so you, the idea behind it is that you can read The Stolen Dagger and it is a complete separate story. There's an, there's an emotional kind of arc and everything makes sense and there's no questions left at the end. Um, but you're still like, ooh, this is interesting because characters from it will are in The Longest Night as well. And if you read The Longest Night first to go the other way around, there are questions left in The Longest Night that are mildly answered by the Stolen Dagger. Um, so that was the whole idea behind it. And uh, yeah. Did you find it as an, obviously doing something that was interlinked with the, the novel itself, did you find it a trick, that sort of trick where you had to keep referring back to the original novel thinking, oh, I've got to make sure that happens, that happens, and characters stay in character? Um, so it was usually a plan, don't you? So did it involve a lot of planning to get the novella to match up to it? No, because the, so the, the you see, we're edging into a slight spoiler territory here for The Stolen Dagger in particular, but... Um, I had the the character of David was originally written in such a way that sorry <laughs> my dog is on the bed here. <laughs> the dog said stop spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I thought she I thought she'd sleep through the podcast and did she? Oh well, we'll digress a second. What's what's your dog's name? Oh, my dog's name is Willow. Um, she's a very fluffy cavachon and she's a bit of a moan bag at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you can hear people downstairs, and she wants to go down. And I'm like, no, 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 because you'll be back. Anyway, anyway right, so I've forgotten why we're up to that completely. Yeah. So I was saying, you know, oh. Will was stopping me from doing spoilers. Um, yeah, that was it. Basically, the, the the novella was essentially a um, uh, the character that the novella features was a separate entity entirely. That's why he was so easy to lift out of the novel originally because. 
he he had his own complete story that tied in with the others a little bit so i can remove i removed him very easily and it didn't affect the novel so that's why i was like i, I still have to use david and that's what became the soil dark yeah yeah that makes sense like you're showing your plan in there basically it was all planned out so it was like did you find them as that being your second major published work did you find it a much easier one to write than your first your original novel a lot easier it was a lot easier to write most definitely um it just i think i think it's because i had gotten into the habit of writing and i knew how to write uh like and by how to write i don't mean how to type i mean how to not waste time with certain things and how to show not tell how to you know all those kind of like small things that bad habits you nearly have to break i suppose yeah yeah no, i get it completely i mean it's, i think as a writer and i'm sure you'd agree with this when you get the first book out of the way you're learning all the time and so you naturally will improve as a writer not completely yeah. now neil gaiman what, actually has a great quote about that he said oh. um, he said yeah, i'm gonna paraphrase it because re- i have a really bad memory for exact quotes but he basically said that um your first book when you learn you learn how to write on your first book and then every book after that you're learning how to write that particular book Oh, that's an excellent quote. I've got his first book, actually, and what he did in a biography of Duran Duran. Absolutely god-awful. But it, it shows how much he improved as a writer. That's a great, yeah. great quote. So, now, I, won't go, I normally would ask you what you got planned for your writing next, but I want to talk to you next, obviously, about your podcast, because we hinted at this before, didn't we, earlier on? So I know you do your own podcast, don't you, as well? So, story of a storyteller. Now... What made you want to start off with a podcasting? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> My in-depth question there. I didn't have enough free time. I had too much free time. And I was like, you know what? Let's give yourself another full-time job, Connor. That's why. Uh, <laughs> no. So my, I like to say that the story of a storyteller has three dads and no mum. Dad number one is myself and my inherent nosiness. Uh, dad number two is a author that I was a fan of first and then became close friends of who complimented my question asking skills when he did a Facebook live reading. And, uh, and that kind of sparked something in my head. I was like, yeah, actually I do ask good questions. And then um, dad number three was another podcaster who, uh, who has a fantastic podcast called the writing community chat show. And um, he tweeted on a day where I was really thinking of starting the podcast. He just randomly tweeted, why am I always the, the host and never the guest? I'd love to be on someone else's podcast. And without any thinking or any planning, it's the only time I ever didn't plan something regimentally in my life. I just replied to him saying, well, I'm starting one. Do you want to be a get- my first guest? <laughs> oh, brilliant. And then it was a case of, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> I have to come up with the title. I have to come up with everything. Da, da, da. So, um, yeah, it's kind of just the mission statement of the podcast is that it's a bookworms podcast. So it's something that writers will enjoy because I interview other writers and they might learn something and might get ideas and inspiration and tips, whatever. And it's also a podcast for people who want to read books because like we were talking about Roald Dahl earlier, he's the only author I ever remember as a kid when I was reading, feeling, like I said, I talked about my inherent nosiness a second ago as well. Like I, whenever I read a book, I always want to know, oh, well, where did they get their ideas and why did they come up with this and how long did it take them to write? Da, 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 da. And Roald Dahl was the only one who I felt I understood because he wrote two autobiographies, one boy tales of childhood and the other called going solo um whereas other authors i kind of struggled with finding out anything about them you know you, sometimes you get that with writers and 
for, I know we're actually talking pep talk now, but I know like from experience being a podcaster myself, sometimes with some people it's harder to get them to open up to you. And I think you learn as you do more. You learn how to adapt your style, don't you? So, and have you found that then? You've done two seasons of your podcast, haven't you? So, yeah, um, and I'm current as we're recording this. I'm currently airing uh, the third season, um, and I, I'm already have guests lined up for the fourth. So it's 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 really it's going strong, and it's um, I'm really proud of it so far. Um, I think i like not to toot my own horn here and anyone irish listening to this is going to be like oh my god he's going to talk positively about himself take off his passport <laughs> um i i think because uh my parents had a my, my my father was a farmer but my mother actually ran a small news agents in the town and i worked in it from 13 to 19 uh until i started college and and when you're working in a small shop like that, you have to have really good people skills and you have to be really chatty and really good at asking questions. Uh, so I think I think that really helps. I think having that small talk skill and also being able to really listen um, because sometimes, I mean, I'm sure you've been on podcasts yourself. Like if you just ask the questions you want to ask, it's not a conversation and then that doesn't make an entertaining show. Whereas like you've done it loads of times already. You're like, oh, you just said that. Like, tell me more about that. Um, you even interviewed my dog for a second. <laughs> Do you know that makes, yeah, yeah. That I'm a firm but I'm a firm believer it's a pet talk for everybody this. I react to what's going on in the background. As soon as you've got your dog started talking, I thought I'm gonna bring your dog in. Ask me what we have to know about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um so yeah, I think that I think that's what makes a good interview podcast anyway, that you have to be willing to forget about the questions you've prepared and the research you've done. Um I interviewed a an author, um Dougie Brimson. I don't know if you know him. He writes. I've uh, heard the name. I've heard the name, sir. Yeah, he wrote the film that uh, Green Street, for example. Like I had a whole conversation with him planned out, and it was going to be about like I wanted to talk about him being in the Air Force and his experience with all that kind of thing. And instead, we talked about um, classism and uh, and what he called snobbery within publishing and how mostly it's middle class people that get published as opposed to working class. So that's that became a really good episode. Again, because I listened and because I reacted. Yeah, definitely. That's what's good fun about it. Like I said, we we were just like I've done research on you, but I've, I've kept. I like to try and keep it down to not do stacks of it. It's just keep you to know what know what direction we're going to head in. So I let the conversation go naturally, definitely with that. So, so have you found that obviously? How does it go when the selection of your guests and the people who are interested in possibly coming onto your podcasting? Um, that's. That's really hard, I, I find. I don't know how you find it, Andy. Um, because one thing is that, like, I'm a very young podcast. I mean, I started September last year, um, at September 2020, that is. And already I'm starting to get emails from people saying, like, hey, I found your podcast. I'd love to come on. And that is... so that's it like that's all i get from some people and i'm kind of like well no um, you, you didn't tell me why you'd be a good guest um i think that's the thing i wanted i i want i'm gonna kick the dog out of the room <laughs> and was wondering now obviously sake of animal cruelty he's not going to kick the dog <laughs> oh, no i will year. actually kick the dog she's listening uh, no. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> oh sorry I'll just get rid of her and then we'll resume. Yeah. I apologize. There we go. 
her her other owner, my partner, has come home. So uh, I think she heard him downstairs. I was like, let me go to him. He's more fun. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Now, in relation to, pod- back to podcasting, of course. So I think one thing is it's it's um I'm trying like the name of the podcast is Story of a Storyteller. And like I said earlier, I always wanted to know more about the authors I was reading as a kid. So for me, it was a case of I want to find authors that are more willing to talk about themselves and their own life and their own kind of history and how they got to become an author, as opposed to an author who's coming on to do a sales pitch of their book, because that's that's mostly what you get, I'm I'm afraid. And it it breaks my heart a little bit because there's people that I think could be really good if they just could be really good guests if they just looked at the details of what is the podcast for and what's the purpose I'm trying to serve. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Marcus Acco, another author, he said that someone told him that when you pitch a podcast, the way he does it is, hey, here's here's why your listeners will enjoy an episode that I'm the guest of. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like this. this here's here's your here's what you want from a podcast. Here's how I can give you what you want. And I think that's just a general thing writers and people wanting to be guests on podcasts need to kind of take a look at. Yeah, I think I completely agree with you on that one straight away. So it's an important thing for anyone's podcast to look at, definitely so. And then that you're looking at, you bring a guest on. You, I think I'm always a firm believer. When you bring a guest on, you're taking responsibility of what you're going to be t- chatting to people about. You've got to have an idea whether you think, one, you can be fair to them, they can be fair to you, and you're going to get on. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I'm putting it. So now, that's covered all the questions on your podcasting, obviously. But now um, I know you're looking at you've got projects in mind for the future at the moment, haven't you? So do you want to tell uh, people about that before we let you do the hard sell? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, as I said earlier, I I don't like having uh, free time. It seems so. I'm uh, first of all, the longest night and the stolen dagger, in a way, are both kind of the start of a series. Um, uh, it's planned to be a four book series, and I'm currently literally just in the very starting stages of writing it i have it planned out i just need to write it now um so there's that um writing book two i've also written a children's picture book that i'm pitching to publishers instead of self-publishing that one i've also written a children's fantasy that some of the kids i teach are reading as beta readers at the minute and then i'm going to pitch it to publishers as well but the big thing i think people would be more interested in is i'm also recording the audiobook version of the longest night myself um just because I, I, I have voices in my head, um, not not in a mental health way. <laughs> I have the voices of the characters. I'm not answering that. I'm not answering that. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, the voices in my head of different characters, and I just I, I know some actors would probably do an amazing job, but I just like the idea of doing it myself. I, I have a small background in acting, and I like to flex those chops when I can. So uh, that's what I'm at at the minute. And then if anyone's interested in hearing them, you get them as part of being on my Patreon, as well as a couple of other things. I also do a writing critique service on my Patreon. So um, that's been pretty fun. And uh, I'm reading a lot of good books because I'm helping people write their own books. <laughs> that's brilliant, man. Now, obviously, we know I know you've got your own website. So everything can be found on your website, I presume, then, can't it? Yeah, absolutely everything, yeah. Do you want to tell people what your website is and I'll let you do that, do the hard book? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Here we go. Oh, the hard time. Well, um, <laughs> as I said earlier, my name is, uh, if you read it, you don't know how to say it. And if you if I say it, you don't know how to spell it. So <laughs> it's, <great. laughs> uh, it's just .com, uh with one N. So C-O-N-O-R-B-R-E-D-I-N.com. Um, 
if you can't if, if if you can't remember that, my Twitter and Instagram user handles are a lot easier to remember. It's just Connor the Geek, and you'll find links on my bios there. Um, if you want to listen to the podcast, it's really easy. It's just connorbraden.com slash podcast, or you can just search story of a storyteller uh, on any uh, podcast directory. It's literally, if there's a podcast directory, I am on it. And um, and then, of course, The Longest Night is available for sale on Amazon and any ebook stores like Kobo or anything else. And you can buy it direct from me as well on my website. And then The Stolen Tiger is totally for free. Um, Connorbraden.com slash free book. So that's the that's the best one to go to start off with because it's only a little less than ten thousand words, so it's not going to take you more than an hour, hour and a half to read. And uh, speed I read a bit, day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm really slow. Exactly. Really well, slow. Well, it's still it's still really short, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and it's Brilliant. free. So what do you have to lose? Exactly. Go for it, guys. So, right, Connor, that's it on the question side. I know you're going to do an extract for us, aren't you? So we're going to take a quick break. Let Connor get composed for himself for the second part. And he might want to go and check whether his dog dog's trying to beg to come back in the room now or not. <laughs> he ain't coming back. I'm not ready. <laughs> right. Well, thank you again, Connor. It's been great today, mate. Hang on, right. everybody. I'm looking forward to part two. See you in a minute. Spoken, mate. Hi, guys. Still here with Connor. He's going to do an extract from each one of his little books now so over to you buddy so this is from the first chapter of the longest night uh, a supernatural thriller uh, we're a little bit into the chapter where i'm going to start reading and all you need to know is there's a woman called tasha and her mother and her have have been looking for her missing brother for a while and she finally has tracked him down to the o'leary house After a 40-minute drive, Tasha made it to O'Leary House. Her fingers drummed the steering wheel as she drove right up to the old manor home. There were two cars already here, none of them her brothers. Maybe I'm right, she wondered. Maybe he did see sense of go home. Not wanting to leave it to chance, she decided to have a look around anyway. She turned her car around so it was facing away from the house and got out. The building was plain and grey with dead ivy crawling up the corner of it and weeds sprouting out of the cracks in the walls. The trees all around it hadn't been tended in years and were reaching in towards the house. The bare December branches, skeletal fingers reaching in, closing in on her. A gentle breeze made the heavy branches creak and Tasha pulled her thin coat closer around herself. The once red paint was peeling off the door and the window to the left of the door was smashed in. The upstairs window on the right had a warm glow, probably candlelight. She tried to listen in to hear any words, but could only make out some low mumbling. It sounded repetitive. She stepped towards the house, not using her phone's flashlight, but the light of the full moon instead. She pressed her hand against an intact window, but could see nothing but a bare wooden floor and a few broken pieces of furniture. Walking back to the door, she was surprised to see it was ajar. Her heart throbbed against her tonsils, but Tasha ignored it and gently pushed the door open. She waited for her eyes to accustom to the dark, listening out for the cycles her brother had gotten in with. The hall formed itself from the darkness, showing her doors leading off to abandoned rooms, piles of broken furniture, and a damp-looking wooden staircase rose up before her. A murmur of voices spilled down the steps and tempted her further upstairs. Hello? Tasha whispered, instantly regretting it. Who'd answer that? Why did I do that? The voices from above still murmured, and now Tasha realised they were cyclical, repetitive. 
chanting. What type of weirdos would chant in a wreck of a house? Gingerly, Tasha placed a foot on the bottom step and gradually put her whole weight on it. She climbed the staircase in this way, slowly, safely, silently. Each groan of the stairs sped her heart up further, but all she knew was she had to find her older brother. Find him, the little shite, and kick some sense into him and drag him home. Then Tasha would get some peace from the worrying mother. Then her family would be together. As she climbed, the words of the chant started to reveal themselves. It seemed there were about three or four voices, which made sense with the cars outside. What kind of shite are they chanting? Starting to worry, even though she wasn't sure why, Tasha took her phone out of her pocket and began to take a video. The screen was pure black, it was so dark, but hopefully the sound would be enough. Now at the top of the stairs, she could see light seeping out from under a door near the front of the house. She edged towards it, still listening in, catching even more words. The symbols and the five, the old ones will survive. These freaks. She gently pushed the door open and pressed her eye and her camera lens to the opening. Her hand flew to her mouth and she barely stopped herself from calling out in shock. Candles lit the room. There were four figures standing in a circle. Three men and a woman, from what she could see. They were wearing simple black trousers and white shirts, and all were holding their hands strangely. Each of them pressed their hands against their chest, the back of the hands pressed against each other, and fingers interlaced, in a strange prayer stance. But in the centre of the circle, wearing nothing at all, knelt her brother. He had a long kitchen knife laying across his palms, which were outstretched in front of him. And all over his chest, his arms and legs bled tiny cuts, shallow and twisted. His face was contorted and winced in pain. Brilliant. Yeah, I can really see why your audio book's going to be a really good winner with that one straight away, mate. So, because <laughs> that was really engaging. Really, really good Thank stuff, you. that, mate. So, okay. Are you going to do a set of apart from the other one now, aren't you? You don't mind uh, yes. yes, I will. Uh, take me a second to open it up on my Kindle app on my phone i'm so cheap i can't even buy a kindle um i just use my phone app <laughs> <laughs> oh um, I'm, I'm terrible with kindles and that like i had spells of one i've got now and this is gonna make me look an idiot this i've gone for about five the first four i've got are lost in about 18 months i had a habit in when i kept leaving them on <laughs> trains and buses <laughs> but more organized now that's all right back to you mate. <laughs> uh, okay so this is from the stolen dagger which we were talking about earlier in the episode is the novella um set in the same world time set kind of a thing and uh, i'm just going to read from the very start of it until we get to a nice little twist david murphy was waiting he leaned against the shop's door frame and watched the dark streets of dublin a faint drizzle had been falling most of the night but now the rain had changed. It didn't so much fall as it did dive, escaping an unknown horror from far above. A faint scream echoed down the street and David looked to the left. A gaggle of young girls, all around 19 or 20, were running down the street, screaming in the sudden rain. Not one of them properly dressed for this time of year. Short skirts, high heels, and some that had those nice tops that showed off their midriffs. A few were holding a jacket over themselves and a friend, while others held tiny handbags above their already drenched hair. David reached out with one cupped hand to catch some water streaming off a gutter above. 
He slapped it onto his head and tried to smooth his fringe down onto his forehead, the way he often saw other lads do. He timed a quick, hard pull from his fag and held it until the perfect moment. Just as some of the girls were passing by, he blew the smoke out in a real old-fashioned James Dean style and looked up at them. All right, girls. Smooth, he thought. They all kept running, bar the two sharing a jacket. They slipped into the doorway with him. David puffed up his chest slightly and took another pull, anything to look more manly. Saoirse, can you text your boyfriend and have him pick us up? said the tall blonde. She had fine long legs and a short dress that had flowers on it. The dress was soaked. David stood taller still and raised the corner of his lip, real cool-like, and said, Ah, fuck that boyfriend shit. I'll take care of you. The shorter one, Saoirse, rolled her eyes and glared at her friend. The taller, better-looking one failed to suppress a laugh and flicked her eyes up and down David. Her eyes cut into him, and he realised that both of them were actually slightly taller than him. Fucking high heels. We're grand, thanks, said Saoirse, her judgmental tone making him feel a lot smaller than before. Just before he came up with a line that would really show her who's boss, her phone rang and the two of them ran back out into the rain. They're only kids, he thought, probably only in college, not in the real world, like me. David zipped his Man United top right up to his chin and raised his shoulders for some heat. He stared at their high heels and watched them splash through the puddle in front of them. The water danced up around their slender ankles and they screamed with the shock of water diving down into their shoes. David knew that feeling. And then a memory started to shove its way to the fore. One he hadn't thought of in a very long time. Ooh, duh, duh, duh. definitely a cap. Definitely a lad. Leave me, leave me the cliffhanger there, definitely. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brilliant stuff, Connor. Really enjoyed it today, mate. So thank you again, mate. No, Hang no. around. I need to speak to you off mic anyway, as always. Oh, yes. Been a pleasure today, Connor. Been, we've, it's been a great stuff. It's been great to have chat to five other podcasters, always, which is always good. I love chatting to writers as well. You do both. So great yeah. stuff, mate. All right, guys, girls. Been a pleasure, Connor, as always, mate. So thank you again, mate. As I, as I it's Don Callas Hoysters at Impact Wrestling. Stay safe and stay over. And we'll see you all soon. Spoken, mate.